But anyway, we're going to look at something this morning. It'll be interesting. At least I hope so. So take your Bible. Look in the book of Philippians. The book of Philippians. Now this is whenever the Apostle Paul went to the Philippine Islands. You don't believe that, do you? No. These were Filipinos here. No. Uh, that's not right. But anyway, the book of Philippians is a, an interesting book because it talks about, you know, some of the things that are going on in the world, and it describes the world outside. But then the Apostle Paul shows what the believer is to be like on the inside. So sometimes the outside... You don't control that. You can only control what's on the inside. You may have all kinds of storm problems, all things like that in life. Trials and tribulations, and they come. But what's important is how are you on the inside? Are you just as much a storm on the inside as the storm on the outside? And you'd be surprised how many people are just, they're facing storms when it's peaceful outside. And they're still nothing but a, a bad case of nerves and falling apart. The whole world is shot because of the way they are. See, you've got to be built strong. That's why the Bible talks about building up yourself strong in your most holy faith. So that you have faith in the Lord. Regardless of what comes, you're just going to trust the Lord. And sometimes the Lord allows things to happen. See, well, then are you really trusting him? Well, we just had an interesting experience the last couple of weeks, haven't we? But I want you to look at this. In the book of Philippians, now, if you have an old Schofield reference Bible, old Schofield reference Bible, Look there on page 1257, first chapter, first page. There's a few statements that are mentioned here that I think are good for us to take a look at so that you understand where the Apostle Paul is coming from as he explains these things to the Philippian church. You'll notice up there where it has the word date, top of the page. Now, if you don't have an old school reference Bible, that's okay. There's one in the church pew right in front of you. So you all got to pull it out and look at it, and it'll be exactly the same. But where it has the word date, the date of Philippians cannot be positively fixed. It is one of the prison epistles. Whether Paul was twice in prison, and if so, whether Philippians was written during the first or second imprisonment, affects in no way the message of the epistle. A.D. 64 is the commonly received date. The immediate occasion of the epistle is disclosed in Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 18. Because this is why Paul wrote the book. And he tells that at the end of the book. So there's a lot of things before you get there, but when you understand those last few verses, then you can go back and look at the first part of it, and, oh, this is what he's saying. This is why he's saying this. This is why he's doing this. And we'll do that a little bit later. But what else I wanted you to see was this. When you look at the word theme, theme, the theme of Philippians is Christian experience, what you're going through in life. In other words, living out your Christianity. So he says, soundness of doctrine is assumed because there's not a lot of Bible doctrine taught in it except just the applying the teachings of Scripture, living out your faith. And you'll notice there's several things I want you to just look at real quick. Look here in verse 4 of chapter 1 where he says, always in every prayer of mine for you all, you all, that means he was from a southern Judea, <laughs> no. For you all making requests with joy, and verse 5 says, and you ought to underline these two words, for your fellowship, your fellowship. Because it's going to be Paul writing to them about, hey, how are you doing? 
Y'all just had a hurricane. How you doing? How you doing? And so we lost everything, but how are you doing? Well, I'm doing fine. And if you, nothing happened, well, how are you doing? I'm doing fine. Now, which one should praise the Lord? The one who lost everything or the one who didn't lose anything? Which one should praise the Lord? Both. You both praise the Lord. Because what happens to things is not as important as what's happening to you. How do you handle all these things? Um, the song that uh, I was just murdering, I mean singing over here, uh, Though I should, you know, you lose the whole world, but you still got the Lord. And uh, my thanks to him for all that he hath done. And we'll look at that a little bit more during the church service, of course. But look in verse 9. I want you to see this also. And this I pray that your love. See, it's your fellowship because of the gospel. Because, you see, you have to know the Lord in order to love correctly. So when you accept Christ as your Savior, what you're actually doing is letting God love you. You are then a beloved. God loves you. Let him love you by giving you this free gift of everlasting life. See, when you reject the free gift of everlasting life, you are rejecting the love of God because Christ is the love of God bestowed upon mankind. And so therefore you accept him as your Savior, and then those people who accept God's love, he says, now, let your love be manifested to other people. So that's why he talks about there in verse 9. And this I pray that your love may abound. Because his love abounded to us, our love is to abound to others. So it's a personal thing. It's how you are on the inside. And so your fellowship and our fellowship is with those who Believe the same things we believe. Believe that salvation is by grace. If a person came in here and believed that you had to be you know, baptized in water and keep the Ten Commandments to go to heaven and you can lose your salvation, we can't have fellowship together. I mean, I can be nice to them. I can be kind. I can be friendly for a little while. <laughs> but I cannot have close fellowship with a person. Don't believe like I believe. So over the last 57 years or so, I have tried to best surround myself with people who believe like I believe. And I think there's safety in doing so. Uh, turn your page and you'll look also down here in verse 25. And notice in verse 25 where he says, And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for, get this, your furtherance and joy of faith. See, whenever you're spiritually minded, you want other people to be spiritually minded. And the joy that you have in the Lord, you want others to have in the Lord. So you want it to, to further that joy. Where regardless of what's going on in the world, all the heartache and the misery that can, you can have and face, some people just need to know that somebody cares about them, somebody loves them, and try to spread a little joy. Look what else he says here in verse 27. Because with life itself, there's a lot of bad things in life. But... It's not so much as what's going on in the world as what's going on inside of you. What do you have in you that you have to offer to the world? He says, silver and gold have I none. <laughs> but I know the gospel. I can tell you about that. I can tell you how to walk with the Lord. Let your manner of life, your conversation, your behavior, the way you are, let it say something. Let it be something that's genuine, that's real. And so he says in verse 27, Only let your behavior or your manner of life be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. So that there's something about your life 
and the gospel that's similar. God so loved the world that he, he gave. We so love the world that we give. So we give them a good testimony. We give them the good words of the gospel. We are supposed to be the examples of what God wants us to be. When we do that, he also says, now not just what you're doing with the others, but also about what you can do with those who are believers in the Lord. Look at these next two words and underline those. Your affairs. See that in verse 27? When I hear of your affairs, what you're doing, how are you doing? Because how you're doing, a lot depends upon how you are inside of you. And you can tell whether or not you can completely fall apart. Now, we just had some, well, we had a little rain, didn't we? We had a storm come through. And so the way I have to look at it is this, and I told him this Wednesday night. I, as the pastor, when the governor says to evacuate, I evacuate. I do what they say do. When I can obey the law, I obey the law. When I want to defy the law, I better have a good reason. There could be serious consequences. And the other reason is because I wanted to make sure that I also have a responsibility to protect my wife. Right? And I look at both sides, whether or not do I stay or do I go. Well, he already said that we're supposed to evacuate. So I left and take my little darling. Now, the other side is if we'd stay, maybe not a thing happened. But we left, and what if it had flooded the whole area and you had six, seven, eight feet of water in your, your house and there's no power and no electricity, there's nothing going on. And next thing you know, people are dying and drowning. The last thing the church needed was a pastor who disobeyed the law. And then somebody died because of it. That's why we had a board meeting and we discussed it and said, now this is what we believe we ought to do. And we're, we're going to call in five or six days in advance, we closed down the church so that people had a chance to leave. So the college kids had a chance to get out of town if they needed to. Now, everybody's on their own to make up their own decisions, which I'm glad that people did. Some decided to stay, some decided to go. But whatever it is, Remember that all things can happen to us and be a blessing. So if you stay, you can be a blessing. If you go, you can be a blessing. And so God can work in your life. But your affairs, what you're going through, how are you handling difficulties? And uh, it was interesting. We was up there in America's Georgia. So it came through Tampa, but it sidestepped Tampa and went right through the eye, went right through America's Georgia. That's where we were. But it already didn't weaken down enough. It was just a little, little, lot of wind. The power did go off, but it was off for just a little while. And uh, then it came back on. So when it got dark, I didn't know dark was so dark. I mean, it was dark, dark. I could put my hand right there, and you could not see anything. It was dark, dark, because the sky is nighttime. And where's the flashlight? We did not totally prepare for everything because we didn't think, well, nothing's going to happen here. <laughs> and it did. Some things you can prepare for, some things you cannot prepare for. And so look at the next statement in verse 28. When you want to serve the Lord, remember, the Lord is with you. But when you want to serve the Lord, the devil is also with you. Look what he says in verse 28. He says, and in nothing terrified by your adversaries. So your affairs, your adversaries, your love, your fellowship, all these things that God is concerned about in our life. Now, go back there to the uh, introductory uh, remarks under the word theme. And you'll notice that um, their soundness of doctrine is assumed. There's nothing in church order to set right. 
Philippi is a normal New Testament assembly. Saints in Christ Jesus with the bishop or elders and deacons. The circumstances of the apostle are in striking contrast with his Christian experience. In other words, what he's going through, he's in prison. But how he is, he's on top of everything. In other words, he is solid, he is stable, he has peace of mind, he rejoices in the Lord, and yet he's in prison. So some people will fall apart if the things they're looking to and love and trust in falls apart. And so is it possible that God can send things and allow things to happen outside of us to test us to whether do we really love the Lord, trust the Lord, or we're in love with things and we don't want to lose things? Or do we get to where we think about eternal things? See, God knows how each one of us are, and God can use everything that happens to help us to be wiser, to examine our lives, and so on. Look at the next statement. Let's see that. As to the former, he was Nero's prisoner. As to the latter, there was the shout of victory, joy. I mean, he was talking like he was a victorious man, and he's, he's in prison, but... This next statement, even though it's not scripture, this is not divine, but it's a good statement, and I underline it even in my Bible on Schofield Note. I don't agree with everything Schofield writes. I agree with the Bible, and if he makes a good statement, I like to refer to it. Christian experience, he would teach us, is not something which is going on around the believer, but something which is going on within him, within the believer. So there should be a difference. You don't want to be like the world. And you don't want to be conformed to the world. Now, if you want to know what the world is like outside, well, just kind of take a peek here. And look there in Philippians in chapter 2. In verse 14 and 15, especially look in verse 15 and 16, these two verses. Because here we are, we're in this world. We're not of the world, but we're in the world. That ye may be blameless and harmless. That's the way you're to be. The sons of God, without rebuke. This is the way you are to be. doesn't matter what's going on. This is how God wants you to be. In the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. In other words, the world is crooked, the world is perverse, and we're living in it. But we're to be different than what the world is. Now get this, among whom, and you ought to underline this, ye shine as lights in the world. You ever hear that little song, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. But don't really mean that. What do you mean by it? I'm going to let my little light shine? It shines the brightest when it's the darkest. And none of us want to face any darkness. We don't want problems. We just hope we can just live a nice, long, quiet, peaceful life and no darkness whatsoever. Keep the storms away. But God's going to send storms. And you might just understand, we live in a wicked world, and there's wicked people that'll do wicked things, and everything's not going to go according to the way we want it to go. There's problems all the time. Now, he says in verse 16, how do you shine in this world as lights in the world? Now, the world is wicked. God says that. That's recognized. That's accepted. But how you're supposed to be in this world is blameless, harmless, and without rebuke. 
Then he says in verse 16, holding forth the word of life. That's the word of eternal life. Holding that forth. That's the light by which the lost man can see. That's why we keep doing that. You know, they went soul winning Friday night, and I think they said they had about 38 or so, something like that, trust the Lord. Isn't that awesome? They had 10 of the kids who went soul winning. Now, that's a, that's a scary thing, walking up and just talking to somebody cold turkey like that. It petrified. With adults, even in regards to how strong we are in the faith, wouldn't that scare you just a little bit? Or sometimes it scares people just to give out a track. But uh, I've had some interesting emails come this week. Two letters I'm going to share with you in uh, church service. I think they're awesome. Just great. But notice what he says in verse 16. Holding forth the word of life that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. In other words, your labor in the Lord is never in vain, but your labor with people can be in vain. In other words, they may not accept what you say. In other words, if I witness to this person, God's going to reward me for my faithfulness, not whether or not he believes it or not. But I don't want to have labored in vain. I want them to trust the Lord. God's going to reward me for what I did, but I want them to trust the Lord. And if they don't, then it's like I labored with them in vain. They didn't get it. They didn't trust the Lord. It didn't accomplish what I wanted it to. But yes, down the road, they may trust the Lord. So he says, you're in this world. And the world is wicked. The world is dark. And you're to shine forth as lights. Do it. Because I am laboring, trying to help you to be strong so that you'll give out the word of eternal life. That's what you're supposed to do. And if you don't do that, it's like I'm encouraging and then I'm not getting anywhere. There's a lot of preachers who have left churches because they couldn't get the people to do anything. You think that's possible? A person who preaches what the people should do, ought to do, how they ought to be, and it's just like, hello, wall. And nobody listens. Nobody tells, listens what the preacher said. No, no lives are changed. Nobody listens. Nobody changes anything, does anything. It's just the same old routine. You need some work done, nobody volunteers. You need this done, nobody, 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 nobody. Because you don't, they're set in their ways, not going to move, not going to change. And do you think that can discourage a preacher? So the preacher can think, well, if this is hard ground and solid rock, I need to move where there's some soft, you know, fertile ground and sow some seeds and see something happen. Because everybody wants to see something happen. You don't want to labor in vain. You know what I do when I, I was up there? They took me fishing. He had a big old pond on his own uh, 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 property there. So Trina wanted me to go fishing. All right, I'll go fishing. I said, no, I don't catch fish. And I can go down there. I feed fish. <laughs> I fed those fish. I had a night crawler that big, and that thing was a wiggling all over the place, and I finally stuck it in about three different places, and I put it in there. I said, now, if I was a catfish, I'd just go all over that thing. And I put it in there, and then that little bitty fish come up there and just leave the thing off, and I pull it up, there's nothing there. And I put another one on there, and I thought out there, and I finally got one, and he grabbed a hold of that thing, and he went around, and oh, I got one, I got one, I got one. And then right before I got ready to pull it, it went off the line. Now, I was frustrated. I felt like I'm laboring in vain. Now, somebody, you say, you've got to have patience. I've had enough patience. My patience is gone. Now, if I don't catch something there, you know what I did? I moved to another spot. I tried there for a while. 
But there was the man who ran the place. I mean, he owned the house. It was his property. He went and he sat down and he just sat in one spot. And he just sat there and he just cast out. And he kept pulling them in. <laughs> Pull. Well, they, he ought to catch them. He knows all the fish. They know him. They're friends. They're buddies. <laughs> and he kept pulling them in and putting them in there. I don't know how many he had. We had fish that night. Guess how many Yankee caught? None. I could not contribute when I owed it. And so when I didn't get a nibble or a bite, I moved over here. And then I moved over here. And then I moved over here. And he sat there in that same spot and <laughs> just kept pulling them in. And so it wasn't long before I was down there next to where he was. <laughs> they knew. There's word somehow gets out with these fish that Yankees fishing don't bite. Just take the bait off, but don't take that hook. So anyway, I'm just going to stick to trying to preach the gospel. I have not entered into any bass tournaments or anything like that lately. Well, I never have. But you want to catch fish. Now, that's the way the world is. But what's the way you and I should be? Well, look there in chapter 2. Just look at it. I like jumping in all over the scriptures. <laughs> I'm here, and I'm there, and I'm over there. I'm there. That's fine. But... I think you get my drift, though, don't you? Aren't you following me? There ought to be a little, you know, continuity to this. Here in Philippians in chapter 2, because of how bad it is out there, the way you're supposed to be inside, so he says, if there be any consolation, look in verse 1, chapter 2, there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship, now we talked about the love, we talked about the fellowship, we talked about the how you are on the inside of your tender bowels and mercies and so forth. And that's the tender love and kindness that you show toward other people, you know. So he says in verse 2, fulfill ye my joy that you be, and here's a word that you need to underline, like-minded. In other words, if a person is, uh, you know, Fleshly minded or spiritually minded? What does it mean to be fleshly minded? It means you mind the flesh. Spiritually minded means you mind the spirit. So God said, I want you to have a mind like the Lord. Like minded. A mind like his. So that you don't see the world the way the world sees the world. You see the world the way God sees the world. And you see you the way God sees you, not the way other people see you. And so there's always this divine perspective and a human perspective. And so it all depends on just how are you looking at this? Now look what he says. Having the same love, being of one accord, one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Esteeming others better than you is a way for you to keep from exalting yourself over them and misusing people or just using people to get ahead and walking on people. God says, no, no, you don't do that. In other words, you always want the best for the other person. Serving the Lord is trying to figure out how can I help somebody else be stronger in the Lord. Do you want other people to be strong in the Lord? Then they need a good, strong testimony. They need to see a good example of the believer. You agree to that? Everybody goes like, this means yes. This means no. And you understand this. Then look what he says. 
In verse 4, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. In other words, how can I help? What is their state? And see, when he talks about state, that means that's the, um, how you're doing right now. Your position in Christ is your standing. Your standing before God is you are in Christ, and that can never change. You are as righteous as God. That's your position because you're in Christ. Now, in this world, as you are living, in spite of all the experiences of life, he says this. Look in verse 19. He said in verse 19, But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus shortly unto you, that I also may be of good comfort when I know of, in those two words, your state, how you're doing. In other words, you want to bring me comfort? You do right. Because when you don't do right, it doesn't bring me comfort. Because, you see, when you're concerned about other people, and when they don't do right, it hurts you, right? You ever have kids that don't do right? Does it hurt? Got grandkids that don't do right? Does it hurt a little bit? You ever have a wife that don't do right? Don't go there. What about a husband? Oh, my husband, he's perfect. Oh, my wife, she's perfect. Uh huh. But it says here, know of your estate. For in verse 20 he says, For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are of Jesus Christ. And he says in verse 22, But ye know the proof of him that as a son with the Father, he hath served with me in the gospel. So you're talking about how a person is doing, how they're living. If I walked up to Warren and said, Warren, how are you doing spiritually? You know, or if I walked up to you and I asked you, well, what has the Lord been teaching you lately? Duh. Well, haven't you learned anything? What have you learned from the scriptures lately? Where have you been studying? What's the last verse you memorized? Uh, how are you doing spiritually? Can you still wear a smile? Are you not in the dumps? Nobody loves you? Having a pity party? Now, it's, it's true. There are some people that are still hurting. Yesterday morning when I got ready to come over to the church, and uh, I was tired. I, I didn't want to get up out of bed. But anyway, I, I still get up before 6. And I uh, went down here to McDonald's. I usually get me a cup of coffee. They don't have any power. They didn't have any power. So I just boogied right on down here and came down to Nicky's, and I sat down there. And you find out there's, as I listened to the radio that, yesterday morning, they were talking about fishing. Talking about fishing. Okay, I'll listen to fishing. Not my best subject, <laughs> after all the things I've just said. So I listened to fishing, how to catch a fish. And uh, this man calls up, and uh, he says, and I don't have a clue where he came from and how he got on the subject, but he started crying on the phone. He says, my wife works for the power company. And he says, I am so proud of my wife and the work that she does and how many hours she's putting in. And she's working and she's getting all these nasty calls from people who don't have power. And they're just really letting her have it. And he says, I don't know whether or not we're going to have to move or what we're going to do. Because 
it's amazing how wicked some people are. And, what they, and he was just crying on the phone. And not talk, talking to it. It was on radio. And I'm listening to that. Now, there's a lot of people that are really hurting. But some people are causing other people to hurt because they're hurting. They're making other people bitter because they're bitter. Because the people across the street got lights and they, they don't have lights. And there's a lot of difference when you have electricity and you don't have electricity. And when you see those who do have electricity and you don't have electricity, that's not fair. And we know everything in life has to be fair. And you think, well, why? I mean, they're no better than I am. And you'd be surprised how anger can build up and jealousy and envy and bitterness and hatred. And they said the people were making phone calls and he just bawled because of his wife and all that she's doing. I guess she worked for the power company. Well, she said she works for the power company. I don't know if she was the one that takes the call, the complaint department of what was going on. But I, I, felt, I felt sorry for him. I really did. And so I began to hurt because that man was hurting because his wife was hurting. It's kind of run sideways. But he goes down through here and he says, let this mind be in you. In other words, regardless of what's going on in the world, how does God want us to be? And it's so easy preaching. And as they say, hard living. It's so easy to say all these right things until something happens to you. And then it's a different story. Right? Look what he says in verse 5. Now, this you should apply personally. Now, we're looking at this, but why does he say this about Jesus Christ? Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. In other words, we're talking about having the same mind. The same mind as who? Paul? No, same mind as Christ. Paul had a mind like Christ, and he wants us to have a mind like that. So let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Who? Now, look who he was. Being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Look who he was. And in spite of all the glory that he had, he was the creator of heaven and earth. The creator is going to be born into this world. And he became, you know, the son of God in flesh. He didn't have to do that. But he says, and he being rich made himself poor that we through his poverty might be made rich. Look who he was. Look what he had. Look what he gave up. And became poor so that we, through his poverty, might be made rich. So people who know the Lord, see, are very rich. You see, I've got a home in heaven, and it can't get flooded. There's no hurricanes there, and it's not going to blow it away. You see, this is just one of my homes I have down here, but I got another one. I got another. I got one up in Georgia, too. <laughs> I'm going to leave that whenever I leave this world, too. But I'm living in a mobile home over here. And it was uh, in the flood zone. And so they said, get out. Okay, I'll, that's, that's what I do. I, I do that. And so some wanted to use the church here, and we found out that the church was in a flood zone, and we can't let people stay here if there's going to be water up here six, seven, eight feet. So based upon what people have been told. So you make decisions all the time. Have you ever had a decision that you made, and then right after you made it, you second-guessed yourself, did I make the right one? We're facing that with uh, insurance on whether to have flood insurance and wind insurance. And, uh, well, I'm spiritual. I just got God insurance. <laughs> God sends a storm, blows it all away. <laughs> well, I, I sent somebody by to tell you what to do, and you didn't do it. I better watch what I'm saying. I'm going to eat these words. 
Look what he says now. He says here in verse 7, But made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men. Being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Now, we read all of this about Jesus Christ. So you see there in uh, verse 6, we talk about, you know, here he's the king, he is the uh, ox, the servant, he is the perfect man in verse 7, and he's God in verse 9. You got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The four pictures of Christ are right here in these verses. So when you read the book of Matthew, it pictures Jesus Christ as the king of Israel, and he is the lion. Then you have Matthew, Mark. He is also a servant. He is the ox, and he is the perfect man in Luke. And that's why in the book of Luke, it talks about his birth as a man. And therefore, he is the perfect man. But as the man, he is also, in Gospel of John, he is God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus Christ is king, but He's also a servant. He's a man, but He's also God. And that's what's taught right here in these few verses. Now, what He says here is something to keep in mind. He obeyed the Lord here, and then God highly exalted Him in verse 9. But now, to personalize this for you and I, when you trusted Christ as your Savior, did you realize that, now here's God, and here we are. We are unjust. So Jesus Christ, who was just, died for the unjust, that we could be made just before God. Justified. So then God looks at you and I, He sees no fault, no wrong, no sin. We are as righteous as God. And the only way that happens is because we trusted Christ as our Savior. He took our sins, gave us His righteousness, and therefore, we're good to go. Because you can't go to heaven if there's a, a sin against you. So Christ died for how many of our sins? All of them. If He died for all of them but one, He didn't help you. Because no sin came to heaven. So we are justified with God. When Christ says right here in verse 6, Who been in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Now look up here. Jesus was equal with God. You and I, when we trust Christ as Savior, we have the righteousness of God given to us. And that's who we are. That's who I am. And we have already inherited the things of God. I don't have to wait till I die. I am already an heir of God and joint heirs with Christ. So I'm already rich. You are already rich. You already have a home in heaven. You're going to have all the rewards and so forth that God's going to give you because of what you've done. You'd be surprised how rich you really are and how rich I am. But in spite of how rich we are, it's like God, see, when you were born again, you were born from above. Now he lets you come into this world. So we come into this world. We gave up all those riches and all that glory to come into this world so that we can cause other people to become rich. Not by giving them the world, but by giving them the treasure that's in these earthen vessels. That's why in the book of Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 7, that we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency may be of the power of God and not of us.
So, here in verse 6, we're children of God. Verse 7, we make ourselves a servant. This is why in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, the Bible says that the apostle Paul says, I have made myself servant unto all that I might gain the more. Why do you do this? That I might gain. And so Paul says in the book of Philippians that I might gain. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So that while I'm living, I'm gaining. And look what else he says. In the last part of verse 7, was made in the likeness of men. We are men, but I'm a child of God, but I'm still a man. I'm still living in this world. And if I serve the Lord, and I'm faithful to the Lord, and then he says, how long should a man be found faithful? Well, does he give us a clue? Oh, look in verse 8. Being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, this is the mind that you and I are supposed to. God does not want to make you humble. God wants you to choose to be humble. He wants you to submit yourself to the will of God. And get this. And became, and you ought to underline these words, obedient until somebody upsets you. Obey until things go against you. When you don't get your own way. Obey until what? D-E-A-T-H. I wonder what that means. Until you're dead. Serve the Lord faithfully until you're dead. And then whenever you leave this world, look in verse 9. Wherefore God has highly exalted, yes, Christ. But remember, we're in this world, we're suffering for Christ in His place. We are our ambassadors for the Lord. And God has something so wonderful for us, and He's going to bless us because of it. And we will quit right there. Anyway, this hand representing Jesus Christ, He's God in the flesh. He came into the world because He loves us, hates our sin, because He separates us from Him. See, it separates me from Him and separates me this way. Jesus Christ, who had no sin, He didn't have to die. So he took all of our sins. We say we have to pay for it. He took it. He paid for it. And he says, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He paid for our sins, came back from the dead. And God said, if we'll believe that he did it for us, he would put this payment to our account and we go to heaven on what Jesus Christ did for me. I believed it. I took out this insurance 57 years ago. I've never had to make one payment. I don't have to, I don't owe God anything because it was free. All the premiums all paid at one time. And this payment he made, he put it in an escrow account, and anybody who wants to draw on it can have it. In other words, if you want to go to heaven, all you got to do is believe that when he died, he died for you. And if you believe he died for you, he puts this payment to your account, you go to heaven on what he did. Your sins are paid. Your sins are paid. He already did it. But isn't it foolish for a person to reject something God's already done for him and he can have eternal life and know that he's going to heaven when he dies? Hope you enjoyed this little message. I don't know if it'll help you at all, but I don't have all the answers. But I do believe that God is in charge and God is in control and God can use the weather to bring people to him or to chasten people, to teach us all kinds of lessons. Let's pray, shall we? Every head bowed and every eye closed, no one looking around. If you're here this morning, maybe you have never trusted Christ as your Savior.
God may be working in your life. A lot of things to get people to stop and listen, maybe to search. And if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, would you trust him right now? The only thing you have to do is when Christ died, believe he died for you, that he came back from the dead and says, I just want you to know that I did that because I love you. I did that because I paid for your sins. I don't want you to go to hell. And I just want you to believe I did it for you. And if you'll believe that, God said he would give you as a free gift everlasting life. And he'd never cast you out and never lose you. I pray that you'll trust the Lord. God is powerful. God is real. He hasn't gone to sleep. He hasn't gone to bed. He hasn't gone on a vacation. He's watching. And he cares about you. You are important to him. If you've never trusted the Lord, would you do it right now? And I'm going to ask you in just a moment to raise your hand. Raising your hand doesn't save you. It just lets me know that what I said made sense to you. You say, preacher, that made sense to me. And I will trust Christ as my Savior. And I'd like for you to pray for me. Would you just slip it up very quickly, put it right back down. Is anyone at all? Yes, God bless you, sir. Anyone else? Just slip it up, put it right back down. We're not going to pin you against a wall. I'm not going to embarrass you. But right where you're sitting. A man would be a fool to turn down a free gift. And once you trust Christ as Savior, you're God's child. God's child forever. And God can use many things to teach you, to bring you closer to Him. Our Father, we thank you so much for all that you've done for us. Thank you for this individual who, by lifted hand, indicated he's trusting you as Savior. That once he trusts you, he never has to do it again. Because you give him eternal life. And Father, we also praise you and thank you for all the goodness that you've shown to us. That we've seen through storms fires and earthquakes, the mighty power, the wonderful works of God, and how that you can use these things for your honor and for your glory. Father, we may not understand it all, but in no way do we want to diminish the fact that you care about us and that you love us and that you want the best for us and that you have a justifiable reason for everything you allow. And we thank you for it in Christ's name we pray. Amen.